Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome back to Rocket and today I'll be talking to seven superstar Tom Mitchell. Hey, how you doing Tom? You alright? Hi Kieran, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I'm not being funny, but you look—you look like you've uh, you've been in the sun, and your hair's gone a bit blonde, and you're looking proper cool. <laughs> That's not what most people are telling me. I'm getting a lot of other feedback, none of it that positive. Oh, really? Listen, when you get to my age, look, this is what happens. You see, so anything that looks like yours is an is, is <laughs> improvement on me. But listen, thanks for coming on um, on to uh, to Rocket. It's great to talk to you, and obviously. You know, everything's out there in the press now about the RFU cutting the funding um, with with the successful Sevens team, which is a bit of a shock uh, to some extent, but also seems such a shame with the success in the last uh, Olympics, which you were very much part of. And, and, and now we've got, well, whenever the Olympics comes around. So I thought I'd just ask you a couple of questions. Nick Easton might join us in a bit. He's coaching at Newcastle. I just want to get your your take on it. I mean, it does feel, feels very unfair when you've been so successful. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're all very hopeful that in the future or very soon that, that they will be able to carry on. You will be able to compete. Yeah, I mean, I think you've hit upon something that you, you never want to kind of uh, run a sob story as a rugby player. I think we're all very cautious of doing that because, you know, we... Yeah. We live a blessed life. You know, we're doing what we love to do for a living, and that's great. But, you know, ultimately, as a player, you play, and if you're successful and you win games, then you expect that the rest kind of follows. And um, we've kind of tried to point out that as a Sevens team, both as the Great Britain team in Rio before, but also as an England squad, you know, we've medaled at all major tournaments in the last um, period of time, basically, at Commonwealths, at the World Cup. Uh, the Olympic Games, obviously, is Great Britain. So it doesn't really feel like this is just, to use your words, um, that's certainly the feeling that we're getting. Um, and it's tough, you know, because it's not, I think, as sevens players as well, they, they're they very aware that it's, you can't go and play for another sevens club. You know, we, we do what we do because we get to play for our country. And we're very proud of doing that. Um, and But it does mean you're tied to it. You're bound by that. Um, that choice and now that that's kind of been taken away and obviously a lot of it's out of certain people's hands but um, it's certainly the way we've ended up as players feels pretty unfortunate it just seems I mean obviously there's not uh, you look at the RFU and you look at you know they're probably one of the richest uh, unions in the world and actually you then you look at uh, New Zealand who actually used the sevens pathway as a as a means to sort of bedding these young players in who then go on to be great All Blacks players. I mean, I remember Joan alone were playing at one stage in sevens and this is way way back uh, before your time. But a lot of these players came through that and it just seems such a shame, such a waste um, that, that they've they've done that. I mean, there's the argument as well, you know, that they've, they've cut the funding with the championship players as well, which does seem very unfair, especially in, in, in the World Cup. They had quite a number of players who came from the championship. But... But that aside, is there a possibility that, that Team G or that there'll be a, some other a way of actually keeping 
these great players together to, to try and medal because obviously we want medals in the Olympics like every you know like every nation does want them. Yeah, 100%. I mean, particularly for those of us who were involved in Rio, we know what a big occasion the Olympics is. Not just to deliver medals um, and to go and, and get a gold medal in Tokyo, but what a massive occasion that is to, you know, to inspire the future generations. And, you know, the Olympics takes rugby to a, a totally different audience. Um, you know, it's, it's brilliant for people who are really involved in the game, but it, it also just reaches even further than we could hope to without that Olympic opportunity and, and that stage. So we recognise the value in that. And I think as a result, as a player group, we're still massively driven to try and make it happen. Um, you know, we, we've tried to kind of stay pretty tight as a group because you know what it's like when you're a rugby player. A lot of what your life revolves around, you know, being part of that group, your identity's linked into it. And all of a sudden, you know, a big part of that's been stripped away. So we've tried to stay tight and... Um, and are still working both individually but also trying to coordinate something as a group so that come next year we'll be in a good place to contend for that gold medal in Tokyo. Um, and it's not going to be easy, I don't think. I think, um, well, one, negotiating you know training schedules and stuff on an individual basis has been really tricky for the last few months. And um, But also now we're trying to negotiate the you know, the businessy commercial side of things, um, which, you know, being totally open and honest, we don't know a huge amount about because we've busy been trying to be the best rugby players we can be for the last however many years. So um, there's a bit of new ground that we're exploring, but we're trying to stay positive that if we can put a few things in order and get a few things in line, then we'll be in a good place because um, we've got the players and that's always yeah. the hardest thing. I guess then the plan, I suppose, from the RFU's point of view, in a way, is to sort of let all you guys muddle through, try and get jobs. I've noticed that quite a few of the teams are now picking up quite a lot of you. Just just give me a, an insight to yourself. So what do you plan to do? Because, you know, you, you seem right for being picked up by these premiership clubs to sort of play and then and then maybe get released for seven, you know, for the sevens. Yeah, I mean... Uh, as you said, quite a couple of guys have been picked up, um, but it's not. It doesn't seem like an easy landscape at the moment. Um, obviously, as you said, you've got a lot of championship guys as well who are looking for contracts. Um, clubs have got their own financial difficulties, um, you know, and they've got a lot of them haven't had any rugby, so they've got full full squads at the moment, um, and they're not looking to supplement them. So it's not it's not been an easy landscape for the sevens guys to break into, particularly those who have committed to the sevens for a long time. I guess it's probably um, maybe the views of sevens players in this country aren't quite as favourable, or is, it's not perhaps recognised for its strengths as it is in New Zealand, South Africa, yeah. some of the other countries that play at the top level. Um, so yeah, it's been tricky, but I mean it's great to see some of the guys sliding in. I mean. Norts has got a short-term deal at London Irish. We've got a couple of our young lads, Benny Harris at Surrey's, um, Will Muir at Bath, which has just been announced. Um, uh, Tom Emery, young lads, will be playing the champ whenever that starts up again for Coventry. Um, who am I missing? Um, well, Rory um, McConaughey, he's, he's been a bit of a success story, I suppose, who, who, who went into 15s. I'm interested to get your take on you know, why is it, you know, I see you guys out on the sevens pitch and I look at you guys at all really about what you can do with the skills, especially the speed. And then I always wonder to myself, you know, like 
to some extent, why doesn't it translate into the 15 games? And I, I read a report which was quite interesting. You you know, you wouldn't buy a Ferrari um, if you were going to drive it in, um, what was it, sort of in, in the busiest time of the day, if you know what I mean. And it's a bit like that in relation to sevens and 15s. It's like you've got these guys who are really fast and, you know, some great skills, but actually when the time is taken away from them on a, on a, on a 15 aside rugby pitch, it's that much more difficult. I don't What's your take on it, on the transition from sevens to 15s? Yeah, I mean, I think your assessment of it is, highlights that there is obviously a degree of adaptation that would need to take place to shift over. Um, but I think because in sevens, you are, you're forced to develop your skill set to an extent that it puts you in a good place to shift over. So, for example, like, um, you know, your one-on-one abilities, both defense and attack, you know, you have to be top-notch in sevens. And I think as well, the way the 15s game is changing is hugely dynamic now. Um, you know, it's kind of power moment after power moment. It's not really that kind of rush hour traffic type game that that, that analogy suggests. Um, so that crossover is kind of uh, maybe getting easier from sevens to fifteens, but also I think it's evidenced by some guys who have done it. Um, yeah. Rory being a great example, who kind of swooped in and then ended up in the World Cup squad, um, much to our delight. We all enjoyed seeing that, as well as giving him some abuse as well. Um, but then you've got like Chesin Colby, who's who's a sevens guy, who's absolutely torn up, and you know he's a small guy, great feet, and you know, maybe the best step. So he's maybe the best example of that type of player, but it shows that it, it can be done. Um, and not just, you know, get by, but really, you know, set the set the game alight. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think part of it, if I'm honest, and I'm coming from someone who hasn't really experienced the professional 15s game in this country. So I understand that I'm, I've got a best on this, but I... I think there's just a, it's a perception thing more than anything because in other countries we've seen that the the sevens guys are easily adopted into the 15 sides, you know, as and when Safka and New Zealand, as I mentioned, being the prime examples of those. So I think it's a bit of a it's a perception thing. It's a bit of a traditional view of of things, um, and I think it will change eventually. Um, but it's just, you know, a case of probably getting a few prize horses like Rory McConaughey. I can't believe I'm just calling that. But, you know, getting a few guys to have some success like he has. But I suppose, uh, you, obviously, you started out in 15s, I'm guessing. What position were you then? What, what was your prime position in 15s? Well, growing up, I played a lot of 9 and 10. And then at uni, at Bristol Uni. Um, great place. Great place. Uh, I played in the centres mostly and a bit of fullback as well. So kind of dotted around the back line a bit. There was kind of outside backs, you know, 13, 15 um, towards the end. And then before I ended up going into full-time um, sevens. Well, I think, I think all the, the general rugby public, were, you know, are desperate to see you guys carry on. And I really do hope that the fact that these players are now, you know, signing professional contracts. Do you know if they sign professional contracts with an eye to allowing them to be released um, for the Olympics potentially? Or is that very much dependent on how they're doing? What, what's your, have you got insight into their, their contracts as yet? Are you hoping that they'll get released? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of everyone. Everyone's sort of got to get their own arrangements, obviously. But um, I know that all the guys that were involved in the seventh programme up to, to this point you know, their dream is to go and play in the Olympics. Um, yes, they might have, you know, aspirations to do things in 15s going forward, but 
you know, that opportunity to go to an Olympic Games doesn't come along very often. It's a very special one. And I know that guys had worked really hard towards that goal. And I, mm. um, I'm pretty sure that most of them, if not all of them, will want the chance to satisfy that goal. Um, and hopefully their the experience in 15s will help with that. Um, and, and hopefully also they offer something to the, to the Premiership as well. Because one thing that could happen, and I think, you know, I think everyone wants to see uh, Team GB do really well in the Olympics, but maybe all of the clubs, they will have quite a, a few surplus players who who aren't playing regularly 15s, who are young up-and-coming players. And wouldn't it be great to get a pool of all of these young guys who might be available to play that sevens um, and to be to be available for selection or even some of the you know, the Anthony Watsons and those sort of players to be released to, to go out and play, I guess it might it might collide a bit with the Lions. I don't know whether that's going to go ahead, but it would be great. I just want to ask you, though, about what, what's it like to... I mean, look, you know, we look at the Olympics in all, really, us sportsmen. We, we live in a real bubble in the rugby world. You play for your club, you, then you play for your country, different experience, and then you, you travel, you go to a World Cup. But I mean, a, a lot of us would be very intrigued as to what it's what it's like in the Olympic Village, what it's like to be representing Team GB, um, you know, for you. Any insights of what that's like? Well, I mean, representing Team GB feels like a, I mean, it's a massive deal. I've always loved representing England because you get to connect with everyone who associates themselves with that and being part of Team GB just kind of took that feeling to the next level just because it, it yeah. felt so big not only in terms of the number of athletes involved but obviously the number of people who are invested in that um, because you pick up on the support uh, beyond your own sport so just because you're wearing the GB flag then getting the support for the people who are you know into hockey or judo whatever it is um uh, and that so that was awesome feeling, and that that came with a lot of pride. And then the village was just a very surreal experience. I mean, like we always compared it to like Jurassic Park sort of thing because <laughs> you literally you're walking around. It's like you're just like looking at all these different athletes. You've got like yeah. a complete spectrum of humanity out there, not only in terms of nationalities and types of people, but physically as well. You've got like tiny gymnasts, you know, sitting at one table together with their hair all pristine, a bit like mine, actually. Uh, hair all straight back, you know, the makeup on. And then you've got another table, you know, with, like, volleyball players or basketball players or discus throwers, and they're just, like, huge human beings. Um, so you've got the full spectrum, and then you've got Usain Bolt wandering around with his 20, like, literally 20 or 30 people chasing him for a picture. Um, so I think he only stayed in the village for a couple of days because it was just a nightmare for him. Um, but also, I think just as like sports fans growing up, what loving the Olympics, you get the chance to kind of get in a dinner queue with like Andy Murray and you know Mo Farah was behind me queuing up to like fill up his water bottle from the thing. And you're just like, this is nuts. What about the drinking? Did you did you guys lead the way a little bit? <laughs> oh, it was ridiculous. It was terrible. Well, it was great, but we we were quite early on in the in the um, schedule of, of events. Um, so there's a, there's a responsibility to kind of keep it together to some extent if you're in the village because you don't want to damage anyone else's chances of, uh, of competing the next day, whatever. Um, we, we, the night of um, the medal ceremony, we obviously went out for some drinks, like part of the course. And then we had, because of the time difference, we had media duties the following morning at 7 a.m. And actually, Rory speaks about this because he delivered 
the worst but subsequently most in, in kind of entertaining interview oh, I've ever yeah. seen and it's still flowing around somewhere on the internet um in fact we we spoke to him because I'll give my own podcast a plug yeah a little bit um so we talked about it on seventh heaven which is the podcast that I do with a couple of guys and uh and he, he's shared it so I think it's all right for me to say it again that if you google it it's out there somewhere it's gold he has no idea what he's saying um but I also had to be excused from an interview that morning because I was a little bit worse for wear. But it's to be expected. I mean, we just got a silver medal. What are you going to expect from from the lads the next morning? That was amazing. The uh, I think did you? I think you kicked the goal though, didn't you, against the South Africans? If I'm right, if I remember, <laughs> it was going mental, absolutely yeah, it was, mental. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, oh, we didn't exactly have a very smooth route to the final. Like it was, all the games were so close within two points. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a brilliant, brilliant experience. And it, well, it was great for the game as well because it properly highlighted what a great game it is for, for people to watch, even people who aren't, you know, super into it. And we were in Brazil, like, it's not a rugby uh, crowd out there, but everyone was absolutely loving it and really getting involved. So, you know, hopefully that was, uh, well, it definitely felt like the springboard for the game. Um, yeah. Obviously, now things feel like they're stagnating a bit. Um, but, you know, this is a time for for change and hopefully sevens will be better for it when it comes back. Absolutely. Just tell me what you're up to. I, I know you went to, um, you went to a second rate university after Bristol. You went to Oxford, yeah. didn't you? I'm only joking. I'm only joking. But, um, so what was that like? You played in the varsity and you, I think you won in your varsity match. So what are you doing with your studies and what was that experience yeah, like? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, the first example of kind of rugby offering opportunities um, other than the enjoyment of playing the game. So the varsity at Oxford was a bit different to the Bristol University when we used to play UE down, um, which, was, which was good fun, but a bit more, probably a bit more raucous, actually, the Bristol varsity. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was a brilliant experience at Oxford and I was very fortunate to do that. And it was my first uh, proper experience of playing at Twickenham as well, which, you know, is a very special occasion yeah. uh, whenever you get to do that as a rugby player. Um, and yeah, I met a lot of amazing people there as well. So that, that was brilliant. Um, and all those studies have, have proved absolutely useless. So up to this point, because I haven't put them to good use at all. <laughs> what would you yeah, study? What would you study? And then I did historical studies at Oxford. Um, wow. Incidentally, the course I did at Oxford no, no longer makes you eligible for the varsity match. So um, you can read into that what you will. But uh, it was good fun. I really good experience. You got in in time anyway. Exactly, yeah. Brilliant. Well, listen, uh, you've been very kind with your time. And um, listen, if I had a chance to have, you've even got, you've, you've got the sort of like, what can I say, the surfer curls at the back, which are all really blonde. <laughs> Just turn to the side so I can have a look. Look at that. Oh my God, that is proper. <laughs> so listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. All I can say is I wish you luck um, in your dream of, your sevens guys coming back together and getting to the Olympics and winning another medal for us. We appreciate everything you've done in the game and, uh, you know, let's, let's keep everything's crossed that, you know, your CV is out there that you can get a job out there playing 15s rugby somewhere and then, and then winning a medal for us again. All right. So and I'll look out for your podcast seventh, seventh heaven. I look forward to listening to that and, uh, take care of my man. Cheers. Nice one. Cheers, Kieran. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Rocket with Kieran Bracken.
and Nick Easter. Thanks to Tom Mitchell for today's interview. And don't forget, you can hear all our interviews on YouTube. See you back on Friday with Nick Easter.